The What Are We Doing podcast and the Aquatic Biosphere Project acknowledges that we are located on Treaty 6 territory and respects the histories, languages, and cultures of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and all First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant community. Welcome to today's Deep Dive episode, where we're going to learn all about geothermal energy with Dr. Steve Grasby from Geothermal Canada. Did you know that we have volcanoes in Canada and that we actually have the potential to create power from geothermal energy? We're the only country along the Ring of Fire, the entire Pacific Ocean ring of volcanoes. Canada's the only country that doesn't produce it yet. Why? We dig into this and a lot more. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn a little bit more about geothermal energy potential in Canada. Air. Wasser. Bunny. G. Nippy. Umi. Tubi. Agua. Low. In zero. Two. Three. Water. Miri. Echi. Chai. Shui. Mud. Why? Nero. Aqua. Water. Water. We doing. And how can we do better? Your one-stop shop for everything water-related, from discussing water, its use, and the organisms that depend on it. For all the global issues that you really never knew all had to do with water. I'm your host, David Evans, from the Aquatic Biosphere Project, and I just want to ask you something. What are we doing, and how can we do better? Hi, and welcome to another Deep Dive episode. We're talking about geothermal energy production with Dr. Steve Grasby. So, Dr. Grasby, do you mind just introducing yourself to our listeners and giving a little bit about your background? Sure. Yeah, my name is Steve Grasby, and I'm a research scientist with the Geological Survey of Canada, and I've been working on uh, looking at the federal uh, research and geothermal potential in Canada for about the last 20 years or so. Nice. Well, I'm talking to the right person then about geothermal energy. All right. So how do we use water? Because this is a water podcast. How is water involved in the process? And how do you actually get energy from geothermal potential? Sure. So basically, you know, the geothermal energy is just heat that's in the rocks in the subsurface. And normally, the deeper you go, the hotter rocks get. So we look at that rate of increase in temperature with depth, you know, the faster it increases, it means that the shallower you, you can reach hot rocks that have enough heat that you can develop a geothermal system. So drilling is expensive and difficult. So you want to find those hot rocks as close to the surface as possible. But that's not enough because that heat is stored in the rock. So you need a way to move that heat in the rock from the subsurface to the surface where you can extract it and and turn it into electrical potential, or you can just use the heat directly for things like, you know, heating greenhouses or buildings. 
So normally or typically what's used is just water that's in the rocks so that you produce the water in a well, it comes up to surface and then you extract the heat from that water. Just like you might have a, a radiator in a house that, you know, you pump hot water through a radiator to heat a room. It's Normally, we just use the generic term of fluid because other things could be produced, like uh, CO2 is actually a higher heat capacity than water, so you can transport mm. more heat with CO2. So people have looked at things like combining a CO2 sequestration system as a geothermal development as well. So you're using the CO2 you store underground to produce this green renewable energy source at surface at the same time. Um, but the vast majority of geothermal developments is related to producing this this hot water to surface as this heat transport mechanism. And that water is then just re-injected back into the ground because you, you know it's a closed loop system. So you just keep the water, you produce it, you put it back down. Right. And uh, you need to maintain the pressure of the reservoir in the subsurface and you, you need that water to transport the heat. So you, you keep it circulating all the time. Yeah, so it's just a closed loop system. As the water cools at the top and you've extracted that heat, then you just pump it right back down just so that you don't run out if that's you're basically the exchange source. Right, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So it sounds like you need kind of certain conditions for this kind of energy productions. And I mean, you need to be going down pretty far, I assume. So what are some of the good areas for producing um, geothermal energy. Yeah, so I mean, of course, you need you need that heat, right? And you want it as close to the surface as possible. So you can look at areas that are that are going to be hotter in the Earth's crust. So you know, volcanic systems are, of course, an obvious place. So right now, we're doing some research projects on uh, volcanoes in in British Columbia and looking at those as a heat uh, source for geothermal. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Just going to quickly jump in here. Is anyone else's mind? blown that we have volcanoes right here in british columbia i can't even believe it it's crazy sorry right back to you steve and you know there you can find temperatures as high as 250 degrees celsius within a kilometer and a half depth so it's very wow. hot and and relatively yeah. shallow depths compared to the depths people you know drill for oil and gas you can also then look at regions that just produce more heat and, and most of the heat in the earth's crust is produced from radioactive decay of three elements uranium thorium and potassium so these just occur naturally in the rock and they're radioactive so they decay and produce heat so the more you have of that in a rock the more heat that rock produces so we can use our geologic know-how and define where in canada that you would expect to have those higher heat producing rocks so that's one element, right? So where is the heat? And then the second element is going back to your question on water, is that we need a way to get that heat from the rock to the surface and we're using water to do that. So critical to that is that the water needs to be able to move easily through the rock so that it can extract mm. the heat and then you can pump it up. So finding a you know a high temperature rocks isn't enough you need to find the high temperatures but also rocks that are naturally permeable which is the term for what we measure is how easy water can move through the rocks so a high permeable right. rock is one that water can easily move through so we want to look for these areas that we know or can predict high permeability occurs in the subsurface so we can get the heat as well as the water moving through the rocks to extract the heat so we can get it to surface yeah, so it's not just good enough to have just some hot rocks. We need to have the right types of rocks at the right depth. 
Yeah. Exactly. So it's yeah, it's a combination of things. And probably the last thing too is really how you want to use that heat energy. So, you know, one end member is electricity uh, generation, and that's done around the world already. Uh, there isn't any in Canada to date, but you need very high temperatures to do that. And then you can also, though, just use the heat directly for heating a building, heating a greenhouse, many other uses where heat is needed. So in that case, you can just produce you know, the hot waters and you don't need nearly as hot water for those direct heat uses. So if that's your goal, then you don't have to drill as deep and you don't need to produce mm. as much water either. So it kind of depends on how you want to use the geothermal energy. Yeah, yeah it's there's many different uses for it. And then that kind of narrows what you actually need to look for and drill down for. Remember in Canada, like 80% of our uh, domestic energy use is heating. So most of the energy we consume is for heating and not electricity. And especially places in northern Canada where you know average air temperatures are minus 20 on an annual yeah. basis, that it doesn't, you don't need very hot water to make a big impact on, on just offsetting the heating needs uh, for those communities. Yeah, that's a very good point. And that kind of leads me into... Does Canada have much potential for this kind of geothermal energy production? I guess there's differences if you're looking at it for electricity or just for heating, but do we have potential? Yes. So we did a, a, an analysis of this in a report uh, It was published in 2012, um, looking at the Canadian geothermal resource potential. And uh, there's yeah tremendous potential. It's it's across the country. Um, there's areas that are you know much higher potential for things like electricity. So the volcanic belts of Western BC and the Yukon, or uh, some of the hot sedimentary basins and parts of you know, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Northwest Territories, and and then if you want to then move into more direct use uh, heat systems and it's just more broad spread across the country that there's potential. So it's it's all there. It's been used to a minor extent so far in Canada, but we have hopes that this is going to be a significant increase in the use of geothermal uh, energy in the future. Yeah, so we don't currently produce any electricity from geothermal in Canada, but what's the actual history of geothermal energy and what countries are leading producers? Yeah, the, well, the biggest producer in the world is the United States, uh, just to the south of us. The U.S. is the biggest in terms of you know total megawatts produced. But if you want to look at uh, sort of the degree of integration of geothermal into the energy supply, Iceland, it's about 60% of their energy supply is now from geothermal. Wow. And uh, there's countries like Indonesia, it's rapidly growing. Uh, New Zealand, uh, Kenya has a very rapidly growing geothermal development. And uh, other countries in East Africa are, are looking very seriously at this. So it's it's rapidly growing around the world, um, any country along the ring of fire. So I mean, Canada is a kind of unique. It's the only country in what's called the Ring of Fires or the, the Pacific Ocean Ring that uh, doesn't have uh, geothermal development to date. So we we kind of we're <laughs> stand out as as, as not uh, not having developed this resource. Wow, that's really interesting. You, places like Kenya are leaders in in this, but I, I always assume geothermal energy with volcanoes, and maybe I don't associate that with Kenya. Uh, maybe that's just my lack of knowledge about geography of Africa or something like that. Yeah, there's this called the East African Rift. Uh, so the, the eastern part of Africa has been part, and there is some volcanic systems there. Um, so they do have some very high temperatures uh, along the Rift Valley. And this is the area that there's some focus exploration. 
but it's not just volcanoes. If you look in uh, Germany, uh, there's a very similar geologic setting in Bavaria is called the Molasse Basin, and it's very similar to what we call the Alberta Basin, the sediments that hold all the oil and gas in Alberta. And in Germany, they're developing the Molasse Basin for hot waters and developing district heating systems for the city of Munich and, and other areas, and that's really been going successful. Uh, you know, Paris has been heated by geothermal power for decades now, uh, so there's many other locations that don't have volcanoes that are still using geothermal power for district heating systems and other direct use. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And good places, I think, for Canada to look at as an analog, right? As, you know, we, exactly. we're not going to be Iceland. Iceland is a special case. It's a country sitting on the spreading ridge of the Atlantic Ocean, and um, they have a lot of really high temperature systems there. But we can look at other places like Germany and, and France and elsewhere that are developing geothermal in very similar geologic settings to what we have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're never going to be Iceland, but we can still harness this energy. Are there any consequences or risks to this kind of technology? Because, I mean, is drilling down so deep, is that dangerous? Is this the same technology that we use in Alberta? We've been using similar technology to this for oil and gas. Um, is that the same technology or is this different somehow? Yes, the, I mean, the drilling technology is, is the same. And if anything, um, you know, in, in Canada, we have probably some of the most advanced drilling technology in the world, probably far more advanced than has been used in other countries developing geothermal. So I think there's a real opportunity to apply Canadian technology and know-how to a renewable green energy resource. You know, so if anything, we know we can advance right. the, the nature of the drilling technology by just applying the petroleum drilling to this other area. So with any drilling there's in development, I mean, there's a risk with everything, right? So whether it's hydro or wind or solar and, and, and geothermal has risks associated with it. So so you're drilling a, you know, a well, then you're trying to produce that water to surface, right? So there's you know, always risks of the water um, you know, leaking into shallow aquifers and maybe contaminating things. But we also have a very strong history of developing you know, petroleum here and a very strong regulatory environment and, and understanding of how you can properly case a well and seal off, protect the potable water aquifers. And so, uh, you know, I think we know how to do it very well. It was a long history of learning from drilling in the petroleum industry to make it, you know, what's a world leader now. And, and we can use that knowledge of how to apply those safety measures to geothermal. And, and so I think there's always risks, but I think they're relatively low. Yeah, I guess what you mentioned earlier that we're looking at the idea of injecting CO2 with water as a way to transfer the heat up. So I'm curious, what kind of fluids are we looking at? Or what happens if some of these fluids that are being used for transporting this heat, what if they escape into our water system? You already kind of mentioned that there, but we're putting a lot of resources to making sure it doesn't happen. But what what are the consequences? Is this a really, really bad scenario? Yeah, I mean, so basically what you're producing would be uh, very similar to, and it's, it's water, right? But it tends to be a far more salty water than, than uh, even seawater. So in Alberta, some of the, the deeper basin brines can be, you know, 10 times the salinity of seawater. 
So you can imagine then if that was, let's say, leaking into a freshwater aquifer, that's going to cause some salination problems and things like this. And that's just something that you would, you know, monitor for in any development, right? And and Mm -hmm. it doesn't move fast. I mean, if you have a a leakage issue, groundwater moves relatively slowly. So you got lots of time to (laughs) realize there's something going wrong. And then and then it's just a matter of, you know, stopping the well, you know, resealing the casing or dealing with whatever the problem is. So I think, you know, just as with any other development, uh, a key aspect is just the the monitoring of the system to ensure that things are going well and and to have time to respond to any issues that may occur. Yeah, Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Groundwater is notoriously slow. (laughs) Just for any listeners who may not really know the true meaning, can you define what a renewable energy is? And does geothermal energy fall into that category as a renewable energy? I mean, it's just really, I, I guess, in my own perspective, I would just consider renewable something that's uh, would be available on a long-term human time scale, right? So if we right. look at things like oil and gas, I mean, we might have a couple hundred years of supply left, right? But, you know, at some point you're going to run out. If you look at wind and solar, I mean, those are both driven by the sun. So as long as the sun's still shining, then we're going to have that, right? And And for geothermal energy, it's produced by this radiogenic decay of elements in the crust. And if you look at the amount of heat production that's still going to go on in the earth, the sun will probably explode before we ever run out of geothermal energy. So I I think in that perspective, it's it's easily to consider it renewable because we have other problems to worry about at that point. So exactly we have about 4.5 billion years left or the predictions. Yeah, so we're good for a little bit. So with this being a renewable energy, I'm always hearing about solar and wind technology, but I really never hear much about geothermal. So why are we so in love with solar and wind? And that kind of steals the headlines. Yeah, it has been a bit of a mystery. I mean, and, and that's a bit unique to Canada, right? Because in other countries, like I mentioned, in Iceland and Kenya and places, geothermal get the headlines. But in Canada, um, we had a large geothermal research program in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. Much of the knowledge we have today of the geothermal potential in the country. Um, But that was ended. It was driven by the energy crisis at the time. And when the energy crisis ended in 1985, so did the interest in alternative energy resources. So since that time, I think partly we just haven't had a successful project to show that this is possible. And So it becomes a chicken and egg type of scenario that until somebody sees a geothermal development in Canada, no one kind of believes in it, right? Right. So that's that's one aspect. So, you know, we're hoping to see some successful projects in the next year or two that will show that this is a viable source of energy here. And then um, there's also has been a lack of regulatory environment in Canada. So each province and territory is responsible for for regulating any uh, resource development. But in Canada to date, there's only been British Columbia that has a geothermal act. And just recently, Alberta has announced one as well. But then in any other jurisdiction, it's difficult for industry to think, well, we're going to spend money to drill a well and not know if we can actually have rights to produce that resource because there's not even a legislation that dictates how that's done, right? So if you compare that to, you know, forestry or mining or fishing, there's a very clear regulatory environment so you know that if you spend this much money and do this follow all these regulations at the end you have a resource that you can sell you know until that is 
developed across the country, it's difficult to have that type of investment. And then I think the last aspect is just a, a higher risk than wind and solar. So it's pretty easy to figure out where it's sunny and where it's windy in the country, but it's more <laughs> difficult to figure out where it's hot, you know, two kilometers under your feet, right? And you can use your geology know-how to predict where those areas are, but then you still have to drill a well to really prove it up, right? So you have to put a lot of money in just to get to that final stage of the resource uh, definition. So there's that higher risk, but this is balanced by geothermal being the most reliable renewable power source there is. Of course, you know, wind and solar only work when it's sunny and windy out, right? And so it's about 30% of the time that they produce the power they're rated for. A geothermal uh, power plant runs at about a 95% efficiency, right? So they're just always on, always going. So they're a highly reliable source of power. And and the other aspect that's attractive is that it's a term called dispatchable, which means that you can quickly ramp up and down the power Mm -hmm. production. So we all know the electric rush hour. So people come home at the end of the day and they all turn on the lights and turn on the oven around six o'clock. So you need a big increase in electrical generation to meet that demand. And wind and solar, I mean, well, even if it happens to be sunny at that time, you can't just ramp up the solar production, right? So it's, you can't change right. that production rapidly and easily, whereas geothermal, you can. So it has a higher higher risk and cost associated with it, but it's much more valuable uh, source of energy as well as compared to any other renewable. You know, this is why we see it as an attractive thing to keep working on and, and moving forward with. Yeah, exactly. It's something that you... It's not dependent on anything else. I think another thing that might be um, a problem, maybe from the public's point of view, is yeah, I mean, you can see a windmill. You can see and understand a solar panel. But you can't see a pipe going two kilometers down straight into the ground. It's not in your face. It's not a visceral thing you can identify with, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the power plants, they are quite small, right? But it to turn that around, if in terms of the footprint, like per gigawatt of energy you produce, the geothermal plant is significantly less than any other source of energy. Right. So it's one of the lowest uh, land footprints of any type of power production. Yeah, I think that's something we don't really take into consideration too much on the actual land per energy output for um, our power sources. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even just to imagine like a hydro dam and how much land is is used yeah. to store that water, right? So it's a clean, renewable source, but you're using a, a large amount of land to to develop it. Whereas uh, if you compare that to a geothermal plant, it's just a fraction of the footprint. Yeah. Well, for anyone who's listening to this podcast and gets really jazzed up about geothermal energy production, where can they go to find out more? Well, there's lots of information on the web if you just search for it. And I'm also president of an organization called Geothermal Canada. So we are trying to just promote the wider understanding and work on geothermal. And if you want the background, you can search for the report we published, Geothermal Energy Potential of Canada, and that's available for download online. So there's lots of intro spots like that and many other resources around. Awesome. And I just wanted to ask one final question. What was your career path that landed you in this field of geothermal energy? And what led you down that road? Oh, it was all just a side uh, chance thing, right? So it was just, it was really started as a class project back uh, 25 years ago when I had to do an independent study project and I decided to do some work on hot springs and 
and that just got me interested in well, why are these waters so hot and where does the heat come from and, and it's just kind of led me down this path ever since so it's uh, it all started <laughs> with trying to trying to soak in a hot spring in the mountains. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound half bad at all. Thanks so much for talking with me today. Uh, it, it's been fantastic. And I'm so excited about geothermal energy. And I hope to see more of it in the future here in Canada. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's deep dive episode all about geothermal energy in Canada with our guest, Dr. Steve Grasby. And thank you so much, Steve, for meeting with me and discussing this and going through all of the technical troubles setting up this interview. I really appreciate it. And I'm so excited to see what we get in the next couple of years in terms of geothermal energy production in Canada. Can't wait. If you want to find out more about geothermal energy in Canada, you can look them up at geothermalcanada.org. Or you can follow them on Twitter, LinkedIn, or even on YouTube. I'll leave links in the show notes for all of these websites. Be sure to go check them out. I'm the host and producer, David Evans, and i just like to thank the rest of the team, specifically Paula Pullman, Lee Burton, and the rest of the Aquatic Biosphere board. Thanks for all of your help. And to learn more about the Aquatic Biosphere Project and what we're doing right here in Alberta telling the story of water, you can check us out at aquaticbiosphere.ca. And... We also have launched our new media company, ABN, Aquatic Biosphere Network, which you can find at thepublicplace.online and search for the Aquatic Biosphere Network channel, where we will actually be posting all of the video episodes that we're going to be creating this year. So tune in. They won't be out for the next little while, but very excited to start sharing video content as well of our interviews. Make sure you're subscribed because next week you won't want to miss our deep dive episode with Dr. Greg Stone, an underwater explorer who's explored basically every inch of the ocean, but also now is super involved with the metals company and looking at how we can get all of the battery metals we need for the future of electric vehicles in this world from the bottom of the ocean and doing it with environmental safety in mind. Tune in. You won't want to miss it. If you have any questions or comments about the show, we'd love to hear them. Email us at conservation at aquaticbiosphere.org. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Leave us a review. It really helps us out. Thanks, and it's been a splash. <laughs>